1: I'm hanging in,
2: man. Catching my breath before a uh, a birthday dinner for my lady. So happy to check in with you before all that. What's going on?
1: Beautiful. I appreciate that. And, and happy birthday to her. With so much Thank going you. on, no doubt about it, with so much going on in the NBA today, why the hell did Adrian Griffin get the boot?
2: You know, this is... A much longer story than what I can say in the next minute and a half or so that I plan to write tomorrow for Yahoo Sports. So stay tuned for that. But I think ultimately, the Bucks went on a risk here back in this off-season, hiring a first-time head coach, Adrian Griffin, who Giannis Antetokounmpo essentially handpicked, and that was influence he was afforded, and you know is a, a glimpse at the type of. Uh, pressure that I think Milwaukee feels about trying to build a winner in a small market such as that situation in Wisconsin where you have a generation of players already won one title and is craving winning more. So the fact that that didn't work out and the defensive schemes have led to a lot of uh, confusion from the players and the defensive production has declined precipitously from the years under Mike Budenholzer. The timing seems a little bit off if you look at their 30 and 13 record, but they're just six and five in January. The defense has continued to get worse, and the Bucks really feel like they don't have a time to waste to get things back on track when even an extension this fall, as we see in today's NBA, these players are very, very liable to request out at any point in time.
1: Jake Fisher is joining us here, the JR Sport show on CBS Sports Radio. We're going to hear this over the next couple of days, couple of weeks. Did, did Giannis, quote unquote, push the eject button on Mr. Griffin?
2: No, I don't know enough yet to say that, but I think there were many people inside the organization that had been for a long time now. You know, you go back to the beginning of this. Training before the season even began. Terry Stotts left very unceremoniously. Was supposed to be the lead assistant under Adrian Griffin. Like the Bucks hired the, the the assistants under him didn't give him the influence. But like it didn't work out. The veteran felt very disrespected the way Griffin was operating things. And then you saw Brook Lopez complaining about not not coverage anymore. And Bobby Portis had a whole thing in the post game locker room tournament after their loss to indiana it just kind of seems like overall there was a a lot and and dissatisfaction uh dissatisfaction i should say uh with a lot of the main actors involved
1: jake fitchers joining us from yahoo sports nba reporter doc river's name has been bandied about as uh, a potential candidate for full time Who are some of the other names that could potentially hold this down on a full-time basis while Joe Prunty is keeping the seat warm?
2: You know, this situation is not one for a first-time coach as we just, so that automatically limits Milwaukee to previous head coaches who are actually available for the job right now Mm -hmm. would be Kenny Atkinson, who was a finalist along with Nick Nurse this summer, uh, before, you know, following to Adrian Griffin, I guess, in that competition. Uh, I don't know exactly if he's really on the table, though, right now, being that this does seem like it's Doc Rivers' job and Doc Rivers' job alone. He's someone that I think fits a lot of check marks. You know, one reason but Giannis purportedly felt connected to Adrian Griffin was the fact that he was a former player and he is one of the only coaches out there that's won a championship. So that, I mean, and that is the goal of what this organization, you know, holds. So I, I think by all accounts and what the early word has been pretty strongly here is that this is Doc Rivers' job. Okay.
1: Jake Fisher joining us, NBA reporter for Yahoo Sports. So much has gone on in the NBA outside of the, the Adrian Griffin firing today. We learned earlier in the morning that Terry Rogier was going to be moving on from the Charlotte Hornets to the Miami Heat. At the same time, the uh, Charlotte Hornets get their hands at least temporarily on Kyle Lowry. We know Rogier is going to be out there shooting. Uh, how will he fit in on that squad and that team with Hero and Jimmy Butler whenever he decides to play?
2: Yeah, they need better point guard play, and that was pretty evident dating back to last season when they put Kyle Lowry to the bench for Gabe Vincent, and then Gabe Vincent, of course, left the summer in agency with nothing you know, leaving nothing in return for Miami. So he'll be a ball handler and a creator. They're going to also need him to be a point of attack defender too, which was something he was better at in Boston back in his younger days than when he was in Charlotte. So I do think Miami is, is hoping that he will be able to take a, a, a much stronger uh, role on that side of the ball as opposed to what he was doing in Charlotte. It's been a winning situation for, for many, many years. I mean, I'll just be candid like that that move to Charlotte when it was a sign and trade with Gordon Hayward going back with Revere chasing his best payday as any professionals want to do. This is going to be his first time back in a real playoff environment since he was on that rookie deal in Boston. So I think the Heat are bullish that he'll be able to lock in on both sides of the ball.
1: Well, Jake, we know Kyle Lowry, whatever is left of him, is likely to uh, sign somewhere else to maybe get a couple more minutes on a contender what are some other potential moves that you've heard that we might uh, see take place between now and the trade deadline?
2: You know, the Hawks continue to be one of the biggest talking points of the league. They've got the Jonathan Murray available. I'd say he's probably the most marquee player that's left on the board of guys who are in this trade cycle. A lot of Kyle Kuzma stuff pop up, although the Wizards are – setting a firm asking price based off my conversations of two first-round picks. And unless they get that from someone, I don't think they're going to move him there. There are plenty of other players and teams that have asking prices that I think, you know, will come down, you know, the Portland Blazers right now want a first round pick for Malcolm Brogdon. If their best offers only two second rounders, you know, I could see, I could see the Blazers doing that. Yeah. The Raptors want a first round pick for Bruce Brown, but with his contract, being considered a bit of an overpay and that being a team option next year. I'm I'm not so certain one team is going to be willing to put that first on the table for Bruce. So um, do they end up dropping their asking price? Like the Wizards and Kuzma, that second round pick stuff is is holding firm. So I'm not necessarily expecting he'll be on the move.
1: Jake Fisher here with us from Yahoo Sports. As we start to wrap things up, one team that's always involved – in the, the trade talks, whether it happens to be a DeJounte Murray or an always-hurt Zach Levine. What do you foresee the Los Angeles Lakers potentially doing or not doing?
2: They're going to be one of the more aggressive buyers on the market, and they have a 2029 first-round pick that they're willing to put on the table. There's an additional pick swap that they're willing to include. I don't have the year – Perfectly off top of mind, I believe it's 2027, but don't hold me to that. They have they have a swap in that 2029 first pick, and then D'Angelo Russell's salary. It's just it's just right now to find a team that actually wants to take his salary back as a real trade chip for the filler that it would take to get a Dejounte Murray or Zach Levine. So, you know, if the Hawks were to take that, find a third team to take that Russell, which I don't think that third team is going to be supplying the actual players that. Uh, Atlanta wants at this juncture, but we'll see. Like the Hawks, they, they value Quentin Grimes to my knowledge. So is there an opportunity to make New York be that third team in that equation? I'm, I'm not certain at this point, but uh, the Lakers are, are hamstrung right now by that element that D'Angelo Russell, they signed this summer to a two year de- deal and they made him waive the no trade clause that would have been part of that with the idea of potentially moving him. And right now, doesn't seem to be much of a market for him at this juncture.
1: Yeah, well, we we know that the the Lakers will always be ridiculously aggressive. We got a whole lot of other teams that are, quite frankly, going to be looking to, uh, let's just say, tank and try to get some assets for the rest of the season. Please tell us about the book that you published, Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever.
2: Yeah, it's it's why Charlotte is in the position they're in today, trading territory here and looking to trade more veterans and get back draft capital. It, if you have a real goal of competing for a championship, the analysis shows time and again that teams that have won the title, they typically have at least two players who are legitimate top ten, top twenty caliber players at minimum, you know three. And the most common way to, and the most direct way for any team, you know. You don't have to be in New York or Miami or LA to have a bad record and get top draft picks. Where most of the t- that's the most direct path for any franchise to get a LeBron James, a Dwayne Wade. I mean, Victor Wembanyama and Zion Williamson haven't done that yet, but you know th- those are the types of talents that teams are willing to think and, and throw away multiple years of-, of competing in order to achieve to, to acquire. So. The book really highlights how the league really became prominent with tanking from 2013 to 2016 when Sam Hankey took over Philly and uh, Ryan McDonough took over Phoenix and Pete D'Alessandro was in Sacramento and the Celtics traded off of KG and Paul Pierce and Orlando traded off of Dwight Howard. There's 300 interviews of, of inside information and, and back-channel dealing and private meetings but, all throughout that book that I think any fan would really love.
1: Now we're going we're gonna to see, I guess, over the next several months, how the uh, tanking could potentially work out for a team like the Sixers when their giant center is dropping, you know, 70 points on any given night. Hey, Jake, I want to thank you for taking the time to hop on. Where can people follow you and also pick up the book?
2: Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Jake L. Fisher, F-I-S-C-H-E-R, uh, bringing multiple stories a week at Yahoo Sports. Our, our podcast, Ball Don't Lie, has, three, has four shows a week for myself, Vinny Goodwill, and Dan Devine, and the book Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Area Changed the League Forever. It's out anywhere books are sold at Amazon, bookshop.org, my publisher, Triumph. It's a uh, still moving product. So I'd appreciate anyone else who's still interested getting a copy.
1: Oh, thank you so much for, for coming through and providing the insight, Jake. You guys have a wonderful dinner, okay?
2: Thank you. Appreciate that, man. Take care.